Uh, well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Jim Knotts, the president and CEO of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund. Uh, I think you all know our, our special guest here today, Lynn Novick. Uh, she needs no introduction, so I'm not going to give her one. Uh, but I, I would just start off by offering uh, she and Ken Burns uh, our thanks. Uh, VVMF has been fortunate for the last year to work with them to uh, help get the word out about the film. Uh, and uh, those of you who have seen it, or at least seen parts of it, you know uh, just how amazing it is. Um, and we're extremely pleased that Lynn is spending Veterans Day with us. Uh, and was down at the wall reading names yesterday. Uh, the, the wall has become her home as much as it is home to uh, many of us here in this room. Um, and Lynn, before we really get started, I think you have some special guests with us. Do you want to introduce them? Yes, thank you. Well, first of all, Jim and Victor and everyone at VVMF, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to be part of the activities around Veterans Day. It's really overwhelming uh, and sort of extraordinary moment for me personally and for everyone on our team who helped make our film. We did spend um, many, many days and weeks at the wall and with your team just trying to understand this place and what it means and so it feels like coming full circle coming home to be here so thank you and um, yeah we are very very lucky to have two of the wonderful uh, veterans who helped us tell the story of the Vietnam War with us today Joan Fury who is a nurse in Vietnam and is here yes. for everyone to ask questions. I mean, I, I consider this more like a family discussion. We're all family here. Uh, it, it's a, a little bigger than around my kitchen table, but uh, we're all family here, so uh, we're not going to stand on a lot of formality, but we'll have microphones we can uh, send through uh, the audience here if anybody has questions uh, here in a few minutes. But let's just jump right in. So, 10-year effort for you and Kim uh, to create this film. Uh, what does it feel like now to have it out there in the world? Well, I, I really, um, one of the things we've been saying in anticipation of the film being broadcast for about the last year and a half was sort of a, a sense of letting go of it in a way, that we had done everything we could to make the best film we knew how to make, and then it sort of didn't belong to us anymore, and it really was going to be belong to whoever wanted to watch it and talk about it, which is what Maya Lynn said last night about the wall, so that was so interesting to me. When you create something, you're doing it kind of for yourself in a way. We try to tell the story the best way we knew how, and um, then it's it's all of yours. So that's been a profound experience of kind of letting go of it, but also really enjoying seeing how the country has embraced the film. And it's also been shown uh, so far in France, Germany, and the UK and Australia, and a few other places, but it will be shown in probably 50 countries um, in the next year. And, and in Vietnam, uh, yes, I very believe. We had the film translated into Vietnamese, and there's a Vietnamese subtitle version that was streaming on the PBS site when the English version was streaming in Spanish as well. And that stream uh, was open in Vietnam, and is open in Vietnam. And we've had hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people in Vietnam have also seen the film. So that's been sort of overwhelming in a whole different way. And you know, the reaction has been extraordinarily positive and really moving and powerful. 
um, many, many, many people have communicated to either directly to us or through their PBS station or written letters to the editor or posted on Facebook. There's so many ways people can express themselves these days, but the, the one take, there's two takeaways I think we've gotten. One is, OMG, I did not know that, which was our reaction throughout the course of making the film. There's so much we didn't know, and we're just astonished to learn over and over again, and that's been a reaction across generations and backgrounds. And then the other thing we've heard over and over again is, for the first time, my dad, husband, brother, you know, uncle is talking about his experiences in the war. And, if, and it could be Vietnamese Americans, it could be people who protested, it could be people who were veterans. Just this has been a subject that has been so hard to talk about and so traumatic in so many ways. And the film seems to be giving people permission to talk to each other about it. And that's been the highest possible praise we could have. Well, uh, I've led the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund for three years now, and uh, the one thing I have learned categorically, without exception, is that when it comes to opinions among Vietnam veterans about any single topic, <laughs> there is nothing that is universal. Um, so I, I'm sure that uh, there has been a lot of feedback. Uh, some of the people love the film, some of them hate it. Um, many just say, well, that's not my experience, that wasn't my perspective. Uh, can you give us a sense of, of some of the feedback you've gotten about it and how it fits in? You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, our film is 10 parts, 18 hours. We interviewed 100 people. There are 79 in the film. Anyone else in this room could have made a film with the same idea of talking to people and hearing their stories and talked to 100 different people and had a great film and it would be completely different. And so we're just constantly in the situation of making choices of what to put in and what to leave out. And many people who um, don't see themselves in the film the way they would like to would like more of their story, whatever it might be. And we understand that. And one of the things we hope the film does is generate, and many films we've worked on in the past have done this, more projects. This isn't the last word about the Vietnam War. There's so many more stories to tell that we weren't able to tell. And so our response to you left out this or you didn't focus on that is absolutely, but someone still could do that. Um, and that will happen, I believe, and that's really exciting. But, you know, um, there's also been an experience of many people have sort of seen the film and very honestly say there were parts of it I really didn't like and didn't represent what I remember. But then there's other parts that were really powerful to me and thank you for telling the story and for helping us, you know, look into this. So that's really been our overwhelming feeling. It's been very positive. Well, uh, you talked about the number of interviews you did. Can you tell me a little bit about your process of finding veterans that were willing to share their story with you to help, you know, create your understanding for this? Um, yes, well, we were first looking for veterans, but also people who were related to people who fought in the war. And obviously, not obviously, but it was extremely important to us to find a family, or probably more than one, uh, that had lost someone in the war. So we were looking for a wide range of people, American and Vietnamese, with different perspectives. And it was a little bit happenstance, a little bit of serendipity, a little bit of um, really good luck and uh, word of mouth, and sometimes people had written something or been interviewed before or spoken to someone, um, and we just sort of kept following breadcrumbs through many different paths. So the two people that are here today, I think we're both came to our attention through sort of word of mouth, essentially, 
um, John Musgrave had participated in a panel discussion about um, experiences veterans have after war um, with Brian Dorries, who is a writer and a scholar of ancient Greek and had been doing a project bringing Greek tragedy to military communities. And he was at the time married to Sarah Botstein, our producer. And he came back and he was traveling, Brian was traveling the world, or I think the world really, speaking with um, active duty military and veterans. And so he was meeting people all the time. And after a year or two of this, he said, I just met this really extraordinary person. You really should talk to him. And so Sarah said, okay, Brian meets a lot of people and he never says this, so we probably should talk to this guy. <laughs> okay, so I called John on the phone and we had a wonderful conversation and pretty clear to me that we would want him in our film. And then we got to meet and spend some time together. And in terms of uh, Joan Fury, we knew we wanted to talk about women's experiences in the war and find at least a nurse or two to talk about it. And um, she was recommended by a friend who had been worked on the film about women who had fought in Iraq. And she had gotten involved, my friend Meg McClaggan is a filmmaker, in a community of women veterans and had, I think, met Joan. And so she recommended Joan. So it does help if you just keep your ears open. But that's not the only way we found people. Um, so uh, a lot of it is just luck. Well, I know that uh, with all of the information you gathered, all those interviews and other research you did, um, even with 18 hours, it was a lot that didn't make it into the film. Uh, do you have any plans to use any of that leftover material? Uh, I sigh because we want to, but it's complicated <clears throat> and um, uh, overwhelming task. We are trying to figure out what to do. We'd like to, particularly the Vietnamese, the transcripts of the interviews that I did in Vietnam, we feel are important to preserve, uh, not just in our you know database, but for scholars, because that material is so hard to come by for Americans. But it's all in Vietnamese. It hasn't all been translated. It's been transcribed. So we're working on what to do about that. But you know, it's tricky. People have trusted us with their story. But do we then, I don't know, how would they feel about us donating it to an archive? And then anyone can use it or look at it. It's, you know, that's, that's complicated sometimes. People have, one of the things we took away from this project is how grateful we are for the generosity and the courage of the people that spoke with us to tell their stories as honestly and openly as they did. And it has to do with trust, that they, hopefully with good reason, felt comfortable to trust us, that we would honor their testimony and treat it with the reverence it deserved. Um, but I thought maybe it would be nice to ask um, Joan and John talk a little bit what it was like to participate in the film. Sure. I think probably people like to hear. Let's pass the microphone to you, and you can see if you can make it make any well, horrible sounds. <laughs> you know, I think um, I have asked a lot. What was it like for veterans to tell you their stories? And I always prefer to have the veteran who's here explain what it was like for them to tell us their story than me to speak for them. So. Well, it was uh, scary. <clears throat> can you all hear me? Yeah. yeah. I was, I was, very worried because I knew I was going to be speaking about and for some very brave young men who were no longer with us. And I knew their families would be watching. So I was, I felt this awesome responsibility to make sure I wouldn't say anything that 
they wouldn't have wanted me to say. And the men who rescued me that I owe my very life to, I knew would probably be watching. And I wanted them to be proud of having saved me. And I knew I had to tell the truth. I also knew that long after I'm gone, my children and my grandchildren and their children will see this film. Because as long as there is a United States of America, this film is going to live and be shown because Ken and Lynn did it. It is our legacy. And I hope that they would be proud when they saw it. And sometimes that meant speaking about some difficult and hard things. But it was the truth of our war. And then I had to be honest about what I felt my responsibilities were as a veteran and a citizen. And I knew that would reopen old wounds. But they helped me feel at ease. They treated me with such respect and compassion that the most important things I knew that I could trust them not to twist anything I said. I knew they would tell the truth as they knew it. And I knew that my truth would be portrayed honestly by them. For me, I think, uh, as a woman who served in Vietnam, one of the things that was really important for me was to, the American people, number one, would know that women served in Vietnam, but also that as young women growing up in America, we were <clears throat> as impacted by our parents' generation from World War II uh, who had served and had instilled in us this commitment to the country. And um, the, uh, I think in, for those of you who had seen the film, the clip for me from uh, So Proudly We Hail, the World War II story of the nurses who served on Bataan and Corregidor which I saw when I was 10 years old. <laughs> and um, it, I mean, it's, it's a funny thing to say that this thing you saw when you were 10 year old shaped your life. Um, because up until then, all we ever saw was John Wayne and Richard Widmark taking hills and whatever. <laughs> and, and I remember my oldest sister and I, God rest her soul, uh, watching that and going, oh my God, there were women there too. And, and they did these things. And it just seemed uh, so amazing to me. And I, I've had the opportunity since then to meet those women. And so many of those women, including those who were POWs, and they were just, just amazing. And um, so it just seemed to me at the, at the time, 
in, in telling the story, I wanted people to understand that women could be as committed to uh, this country as, as men could. And, and I guess the, the other thing was, it was very hard. Um, as after the, the interview, which uh, was actually about four and a half hours, and it probably took me six months to recover, very honestly, from the interview because it it just brought up so much, so many memories and and so many uh, both good and bad experiences. Um, but it was also an amazing experience, an amazing opportunity. Um, I get to meet some amazing people <laughs> like John. And the, since the film is done, I've had. I've had calls <laughs> from people I went, I didn't even know, went to my same high school because it said that I was from Port Jefferson. I got a call from a guy in Oregon. He just looked me up in the phone book. He said, if you're the Joan Fury who was in that film, I graduated from Port Jeff High <laughs> and I served in Vietnam and I really want to talk to you. And uh, that has happened to me. And I'm, I'm on the phone for hours with these people I've never met. And, uh, and for me, the powerful bond we have as veterans um, has been tremendous. And, and just one last thing is, also as a result of the film, we, I live on Long Island in New York, and we have something called the Dwyer Project uh, up there, which is named after a young Iraqi veteran from Long Island who uh, committed suicide. And his father, uh, wanting to get help for these younger veterans, started the Dwyer Project, and now it's run by the County Veterans Service Office. And a group of us have come together, and we're putting together a pres panel presentation on the film. We're going to be showing it at the uh, <coughs> colleges, uh, opening it up to everybody, uh, to Iraq and um, uh, Afghan events. And, if any of you have a DVD, there's a bonus clip on there. I just want to say that I think is a must-see. It is John and some of his friends talking with the veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan. And we're using that <laughs> as the highlight because it shows generations. And, and to me, what that so that I remember Lynn and Ken kept saying we want to open a national discussion. And to me, that's what this is. And it, it's covering those bonds between veterans, regardless of where you served, when you served, and what you did when you served. We also thank you. discussions across dinner tables between the veteran and their families, that the families would now be willing to listen and the veteran would be willing to share his and her important history with their families. And that's what we hope this film would provide as a service to all of you as well. Well, I just have to say, you can see why I think I have the best job in the world, because <laughs> I get to know and really under, you know, learn from such extraordinary people, two of them are here today, so thank you again. 
Yeah. In just a minute. In just a minute, I'm gonna open questions. Well, and I appreciate what both of you just said here because Lynn and I have talked about this. Uh, you know, uh, and I'll just ask you, a lot of people say that the film is, you know, saying something about Vietnam, and I know you and Ken both have talked about this, but the film is not a set of answers. Yeah, I mean, we try to be scrupulous with the facts, as John was saying, to really tell the truth about what actually happened, whether it's, um, some of it is not pleasant to hear and not what we wish would have happened, but we really tried as best we could with a very esteemed and diverse panel of advisors from every perspective to get it right, and we fact-checked and triple-checked and changed things and really, really worked hard. That being said, we don't have anyone on camera telling you whether the war was right or wrong, whether it was, I mean, experts, you know, we don't have interpretation. We don't have, I would say, pontification. You know, we have the people who live through it telling you what they experienced, and there's a variety of perspectives. So at the very end, in the last episode, you have Tim O'Brien saying that the rectitude of the war was in serious question, and that smart people in pinstripes couldn't agree. And then you have Stuart Harrington saying, that it was a just cause, and that the rectitude of the war was beyond question. And we have both people in the film, and you see that over and over again. And we really trust our audience to make up your own minds what you think. And that's what we really tried to do. And I think so in that way, we are opening the conversation, hopefully, with correct information. I mean, we hear a lot about truth and reconciliation. And we don't think you can have reconciliation without first sort of some sense of what is the truth. And we also know there are many truths about something as complicated as the Vietnam War. There's no one truth. But there, you know, we've tried as much as we could to present the information fairly and accurately and leave it to people who see the film and who live through this era and their children and grandchildren to try to figure it out. And um, it's really exciting that this, is a, this process is ongoing. Well, and I know that uh, Ken has said this wasn't meant to be a set of answers, but a set of questions. And I agree with you, right? One of the things that encourages me the most about the film and what we've seen online uh, over and over and over again is that people are starting to ask those questions. You know, and um, you know, some folks have asked me, well, what's next? And um, I'll ask you your answer, but I'm gonna give you mine first. And, and that is that you know, many of our Vietnam veterans, when you came home, were told, take off your uniform, grow your hair long, don't tell anyone you were in Vietnam. Okay, and I will tell you all, now is the time to put that advice aside. Amen. My perspective on this is, we actually started too late with our World War II era veterans. And we didn't capture their stories. We lost many of their stories to history. And I don't want that to happen with this generation. Um, nearest estimates are two-thirds of our Vietnam veterans that served in country and surrounding waters are still with us. And my challenge, our challenge, is to uh, find our Vietnam veterans, collect their stories, and to build a place to house them. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but we, we have to collect the stories before it's too late. And I'll tell you, uh, we actually recorded over the last couple of days the people who were 
So I just have an audio recording of people standing at the podium reading some of the 58,000 names. And we will find uses for those recordings so that those names will continue to be read and remembered. Beautiful. Yeah. I think um, I'm not sure what else to say beyond the fact that as amateur historians and filmmakers and storytellers, if the stories don't get preserved, then we can't look back and know what happened. And so, you know, this, our film is not going to be the last word on the Vietnam War. And hopefully in a generation or whenever someone else will come along. And if these stories aren't preserved and the veterans aren't here to tell their stories, it won't be possible. So it's extraordinarily important. Well, uh, let's go ahead and hear from you all. Uh, I know we have one microphone over here, and I think we have another. We'll get circled. We can share, yeah, if anyone. Yeah, yeah. This is easy enough. Hopefully, everyone knows that we're, you're attempting to build an education center at the wall. Uh, and if you don't, you need to go on the website and look at all of what's going on. Uh, a very innocuous question. Will we be able to have the series potentially as a continuously running uh, segment of the education center, perhaps in a small room where people could be seated. So then will we be able to have that actually just maybe a rights question um, in terms of the rights, you know, all the material in the film that we didn't film, like other than the interviews and the live cinematography, we have to license everything. So the music, the footage, the still photographs, and we have a television license, but not necessarily a museum license, so we'd have to go back and see. I know this came up with our baseball series. We allowed the Hall of Fame to run it continuously. Um, so I, I'd have to go back and check. We would love that, obviously. We'd have to check on the, the licensing arrangements that we have, but it would be an honor to have the film shown there. Great. Well, and I would just say, even if it's not uh, footage from the film, a lot of those topics uh, are covered currently in the uh, lesson plans that we already have online and other information we will be producing for use in the education center. So even if it's not footage from the film, certainly those topics will be covered there. Um, I mean, if you, if you think about just the list of topics, uh, those who serve, those who chose not to serve, uh, the North Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, the South Vietnamese stories, re-education camps afterward, POWs, MIAs, you look at all of those things, um, and of course those are standard topics to really understand something as big and complex as the Vietnam War era. And so we have information about that online now and are continuing to develop more of that and we'll have it uh, in the education center. Yeah, and if I may put in a shameless plug for the center, um, with the 800,000 of us that are still alive, if we each were able to donate $100, we would have the rest of the money we need to build the center. So, and for those of our brothers and sisters who couldn't scrape together $10 if they had to, uh, some of us can give more, 200, 500,000, whatever. So, designate it to the education center. Yeah, Norm, uh, ladies and gentlemen, he's been a great supporter uh, of BBMF and that project in particular. And uh, we really appreciate all that you've done and you continue to do uh, to help us make that project a reality. Oh, I will second. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just, um, we were talking. We were talking before we came up about the reaction to the film, and I was uh, sharing an email that's on my phone, but I can paraphrase it. Basically, it was from um, a veteran who had lost a brother in the war and had served himself, 
and said that he was, you know, carrying a lot of loss every day and had never really gotten, he didn't say get, he had never really <coughs> come to peace with the war or really gotten over it, I think were the words he used, and that watching, he hadn't been able to watch the film, he looked at our companion book, which um, he thought he could handle that first, he was gonna get to the film. And at the end of the companion book, there's a quote from a woman named Nancy Lieberman, who was an anti-war activist and who spoke very movingly about, um, you know, she believed in what she did um, to protest the war, but she was very sorry about the way that she and other activists treated veterans coming home, calling vets baby killers and just saying terrible things, and that she really was sorry about that. And this veteran wrote a note saying how much that apology helped him to understand, you know, the dimensions of the other side and to move on for the first time in his life. Uh, Lynn, the uh, thing that really stood out for me in the film, especially at the beginning, was the degree of secrecy and misinformation that was passed down by the government. Now, we all knew about secret operations. I was part of the secret operation that went in February of 65. In fact, my guys were on the beach along with the college girls welcoming the 9th Marines when they landed in March of 65. But we weren't supposed to be there. And uh, yeah, I was kind of disappointed because I was expecting to see a Hawk missile somewhere in that film. And the only ones I saw were or the nose cones over General Westmoreland's head. <laughs> a, a picture of him sitting on top of some sandbags, uh, which I remember very fondly because Walter Cronkite had just arrived and we had to drop three feet of sandbags so he could take a picture. And, uh, so I was wondering, uh, to, and I talked to a couple of men last night, and one of my closest friends also, back in the Philadelphia area, in fact, he's at the Philadelphia Wall today as an MC. Um, he did operations in Laos and Cambodia, and of course, that doesn't exist either. Um, so my question to you is, was there any, there were a number of things, like I said, left out of the film. Um, were, was there any government interference in that? Are there still 50 years later operations that are covered up, uh, under wraps, that nobody can talk about? No, I can't really answer that. There certainly is a lot of material still classified. There definitely is material about the war that is still classified. There's no question about that. Um, you know, we did not try to uncover new secret files of classified material. That we sort of felt there was enough in the public record that we could try to tell the story. And we also recognized that we left a lot out. Um, but, you know, we're trying to give the broad architecture of what happened and specific personal stories. So there's more digging to be done. There definitely is. Government interference, no government interference, zero, no, none, or nor in Vietnam. No, we had free reign to do whatever we, so any mistakes or omissions are our own. We can't blame it on the government. <laughs> Which is we might like to sometimes, yeah. But I do think the theme of secrecy is, you know, that's essentially one of the most significant parts of the story of how little the government, how much was kept from the public over the entire course of the war. Lynn, uh, George Banda, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, combat medic, uh, 6970 in Vietnam, and I heard Question is, when did you and Ken Burns come up with this idea to get together and say, hey, let's do something and uh, tell the story about Vietnam and do a documentary? How did that come along? Well, 
when did we decide to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've sort of been kicking around the idea that one day we would turn our attention to Vietnam. I've been working with Ken Burns since 1989 when he was finishing his series on the Civil War. And um, at that point he said, I'm never going to do another film about war. And I think he felt it was painful and also we didn't want to become sort of pigeonholed as the war guy. And so he did, you know, we did many other films about other subjects. But after finishing our film on the Second World War and spending quite a bit of time trying to get to know what the war was really like through the people who lived through it, uh, we were finishing that film up in 2006 and felt that Vietnam was just extraordinarily important and still very much a part of our society even though we didn't talk about it in a constructive way. And so it just became sort of a foregone conclusion. We're going to have to do Vietnam someday and okay, now we're going to do it. <laughs> and um, I remember when, you know, I've been sort of not pestering, but bringing it up on a regular basis. And for many years, Ken would say, well, it's too recent. You know, we need to have more distance. And I think 25 years is sort of like a sensitive historical perspective, a generation. So the timing's not exactly right with that, but there was just a sense that enough time had passed and that we really, it could not be ignored by us any further. We needed to roll up our sleeves. But we didn't quite know what the film would look like. It was just a, an idea at that point. That was 2006. Wow. So people often ask us, you know, wow, what's happening right now in the world? You know, um, it, you know, the connections are so interesting. You must have really been planning, you know, that the film would come out. It takes a long time to make a film like this. So we were done editing before uh, the current president was uh, nominated. Wow. So um, we could not have imagined exactly what world it would Thank you. Uh, as, as we come to an end of our session today, uh, I just want to say that, you know, I'm a Desert Storm veteran, um, and part of my responsibility to fulfill the debt I owe to those who served before me and responsibility to those who served after is helping to make sure we uh, maintain the legacy of our Vietnam veterans. Um, and as you're saying, that reaching across generations of veterans, that legacy of service we all share. Um, I'm extremely heartened because I go to Vietnam Veterans of America um, chapter meetings, and almost every meeting there's a part where they talk about here are the philanthropic activities, the service activities that the chapter is undertaking, and in almost every case it is, well, we're, we're building a ramp for this Iraq veteran so he can get it in his home. And we're putting bars in their shower. And this is a generation, if there is no other legacy that you all will leave, it is, it is this. You made the commitment that our nation would never send another generation of men and women into harm's way without the respect that they deserve. Amen.
national international treasure, which helps us all get closer together. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you for allowing me to share that with you.